Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a new year. Uh, a special warm welcome to you if you're visiting with us this morning. It's great to have you with, you, with us and I hope that you feel really at home here this morning. Um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Jonathan. Um, and together with my wife, Tanya, uh, we lead this church plant, which is exciting what God's been doing over the last 12 months in particular. And we're really excited for what he has planned for us in the new year. Um, this week and next week, we're going to chat a little bit more in a, a bit more of a practical way, um, being school holidays. So there are a bit more equipping talks this week and next week. And then when the term kicks off in a couple of weeks time, so first weekend of Feb, um, I plan to share a little bit more about what we feel like the Lord is asking us to step into as a church in particular this year, some vision and values. Um, but before I do that and talk about the, um, a bit of a quipping moment this morning, how about we pray and invite the Lord's presence? Yeah, Lord Jesus, we thank you for a new year. We thank you for what you did last year and we come hungry and expectant for all that you have for us in 2024 as individuals and as a church. And Lord, as we come to think about what it means to follow you as our Lord, as our Rabbi, as our Savior, Lord, I pray that you would put power on the words that I speak. Lord, would you speak to each of us this morning? Would you give us the ears to hear what your Spirit is saying? And Lord, would you give us hearts and boldness to follow? In Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning I want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at some of his texts where he says, come and follow me. So that's the title of this morning's message, come and follow me. But before we start, I just want to ask you a question. How would you like to grow with Jesus this year? Just take a moment, maybe even ask the Lord, just one or two things that you would love to grow in with him this year in 2024. I want to encourage you just to make a note of that, either in your heart or in your phone. Um, these, these little moments of pause where the Lord can speak to us in a, in a moment of silence can be um, quite powerful, particularly when we're thinking through a 12 months ahead um, for what the Lord might want to do in us. And I'd encourage you to keep coming back to that little thought that the Lord might have just planted in your mind there throughout the year. Um, have you ever wondered how when you meet someone that's like 90, there are very few people that are just neutral? Have you noticed that more often than not, they're either incredibly kind, loving, smell a bit like Jesus mixed with imperial leather soap, or they're incredibly grumpy people that you don't really want to be around? There's usually a bit of a dichotomy and there's not much in between. Have you noticed that? Part of that, I think, is that when you get to 90, you probably just don't care about what people think as much anymore. But I think the main reason is that all of us are in the process of becoming something. We are all being formed by someone or something. And the longer that we go on this journey of life, the more and more formed we become. So you're either on a path to become like Jesus, progressively year after year, hopefully um, looking more like him in terms of your character and what you want, 
Um, the, the Paul's word for that is the fruit of the Spirit. You're um, showing the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness of Jesus in your life. Or the opposite is true. If you're on a journey of becoming more self-oriented, prideful, resentful, when you get to 90, that's the sort of characteristics that you tend to show the world. It slowly just engulfs you. And the truth is we're all on a journey of becoming. So the question is not, am I being formed? The question is who or what is forming me? A couple of texts that I want to jump into this morning. This is from Mark 1. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Luke 9. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very self? Luke 14. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And the last text is Luke 18, which is the rich young ruler. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus goes on to say, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So you've no doubt heard this phrase, following Jesus. You know, I follow Jesus. Do you follow Jesus? There's nothing wrong with that, except often in the 21st century, we don't really understand the truth of what that means. See, Jesus wasn't on Instagram, so you couldn't follow him in that way. And if you grew up in first century uh, Israel, Palestine, you would have a very different grid for what it meant to follow somebody. And if you encountered Jesus, the grid that you would have placed him in was that of a rabbi, or we might call him a teacher. And rabbis were kind of like the spiritual rock stars of the day. They were very well regarded. Everyone wanted to be formed by a rabbi. And every good Jewish boy or girl would grow up going to uh, a Hebrew school and they would learn Torah, which is the law, the first five books of the Bible. And every kid would memorize those word for word. And the best ones that showed particular promise in understanding and and reciting, they would then go on to study um, further under a scribe. And after that process, the elite of the elite were picked. The top rabbinical universities, if you like, would take the best of the best and they were singled out and interviewed by traveling rabbis, teachers of the law. And if you were selected, you would then be grilled on all sorts of interpretation, both written and oral, on what it means to follow the law of God. And if he was pleased with you, he would say, come, follow me. And you would literally pack up your stuff and follow your rabbi everywhere. You would journey with them, moving around from town to town. When they would teach, you would listen. When they ate, you would eat. And uh, you would do what they would do 24 hours a day. And if you think about Jesus, that's actually what he did with his disciples. They followed him. They packed up everything. They followed him for three years. It's how he trained his 12. And it was called discipleship. And we've tended to lose that grid for Jesus in the 21st century. See, we tend to think of him as like a great moral teacher but very few of us relate to him as a rabbi. Very few of us end up becoming intentional disciples of Jesus. And so we can be tempted to relate to him like maybe a convenient contact to have in our phone. So someone that we can call to pull some strings for us when we wanna get a job interview or a promotion or a new boyfriend or girlfriend that we've always wanted. 
We can tend to, tend to relate to him that way rather than a rabbi who we disciple ourselves to so that we're formed into the kind of people who bring his love into every place that we currently find ourselves. But Jesus, as a rabbi, refuses to be an add-on to your life. To follow him is actually to give everything over to his lordship. So he doesn't force that upon us. He's full of grace. But he's abundantly clear that he has no desire to be an occasional friend to you. His desire for you is to lay your life down for him and for others. And in doing so, he promises that you will actually find life and life in abundance, he says. That's his promise. That is the kingdom of God. There's an author called Dallas Willard who I often quote because I find him wonderful to read. Uh, But he, he says this, The greatest issue facing the world today, with all its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who by profession or by culture identify as Christian will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of heaven in every corner of human existence. The greatest issue facing the world today is whether Christians will actually be disciples. Because when we become disciples, we start to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, with the work of Jesus in the world to see his kingdom come. We see things change. So how do we do that? Well, if we want the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If we want the life of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean you book a flight to the Middle East, you get yourself some leather sandals and you start wandering from town to town, walking everywhere. But it means that you look at the postures of Jesus, the practices of Jesus, and you apply them to your own context. So we start by first looking at Jesus to form us rather than our culture that we find ourselves in. And it means that we trust him enough to take on his worldview as our own. It's like what Peter once said, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You, Lord, have the words of life. It's that submission to Jesus and saying, your words matter. I'm going to follow those. And there was this ancient Hebrew blessing back in the day of Jesus that said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So as a rabbi would walk from town to town, this idea was that you would literally be so close to your rabbi, following behind him, that the dust of his sandals would flick up onto your clothing and you'd be covered in the dust of your rabbi, hanging on his every word, learning from him how to be like him in your context. It's formation through proximity. We tend to overcomplicate discipleship a little bit, I think, in the West. But following Jesus is not that complicated. It can be summarized as be with, be like, and do what he did. So I want to encourage us, each of us this morning, as we think about starting our year, let's, as a church, make it a priority to be with Jesus this year. That's the starting point. Increasingly becoming more and more aware of his presence with you and in you so that you hunger after more and more of him. And the new year is a great time to think about that process and to ask yourself, how am I actively doing that? Like in a practical day-to-day process. How am I actively doing that? How am I actively being with Jesus? And then a a follow-up question, who am I doing that with? Because discipleship is always communal. And then you might want to pray maybe this afternoon as an extension to those questions, just like Jesus Jesus did. Who is he asking you to invite in on this discipleship journey? Who is it in your life that he's asking you to pray for regularly? 
or inviting you to invite something like church or to Alpha or to read the Bible with you, to follow Jesus like you follow Jesus. And this doesn't have to remain kind of theoretical. The Gospels in the New Testament also have some wonderful insights how we actually can adopt the lifestyle of Jesus um, so that we can follow him, not just on our own terms. So I want to just give you three very quick points um, this morning. It's a short message this morning. Three very quick points. The first is that come and follow me was actually an invitation by Jesus to join a radical community of Jesus followers. It was an invitation to join a community of Jesus followers. So the lie of our postmodern age is that we can follow Jesus simply as individuals and thrive. But biblically speaking, there is no model for that. There is a phrase, you know, all I need is Jesus. And that may be true from a salvation perspective. Jesus is all you need. But it's not true when it actually comes to following him. We need each other. We're part of the family of God. Following Jesus automatically comes with committed and intentional relationships with other followers of Jesus. Community is actually where we learn to live out our formation as disciples, as followers of God. There's another author who I love, Robert Mulholland, and he's a great uh, writer and thinker in this discipleship formation space. And he writes this in his book, Invitation to a Journey. Corporate spirituality is essential because privatization always fashions a spirituality that in some way allows us to maintain control of God. Without brothers and sisters to call us to accountability, we work powerfully to maintain that control. And he goes on to say this, the process of being formed to the image of Christ is for the sake of others. And so what we want to be as a church in 2024 is we want to be following our rabbi Jesus to be a place where we don't just follow him as individuals, but we follow him as a family of God that welcomes other people into that family of God. We long to be a place where we lean into following Jesus together and we invest in each other and in the kingdom of God. So that's the first thing, radical community. The second thing, we need to learn to slow down. This is a big one for me. Jesus walked everywhere. Yes, it was a different time. They didn't have cars. I get that. It's 2,000 years ago. But just think about the context. Despite being incredibly busy as Jesus was, in the Gospels, we never see him as hurried. Jesus managed to set a pace somehow where despite everyone wanting a piece of his time, he remained present to God and to people. He remained interruptible. And part of following Jesus as our rabbi means that we come before him and we say, Jesus, you set the pace. I'm following you. You set the pace. And so often we're tempted to run ahead of our rabbi. God, where are we going? Okay, that's what we're doing. And we charge after it. But in doing so, we often miss his still small voice in the moment. And our culture in the West, it presses us to go faster and faster and fit more and more stuff into every day. You're reading emails on the toilet. You're on Instagram before you go to bed faster and faster, but that's actually counterproductive to our formations as disciples. There's another author um, who wrote, hurry is the chief enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the chief enemy of spiritual life in our day. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. That's probably not how I would have defined the chief enemy of the spiritual life. But when you think about it, in your moments of hurry, How present are you to God and others? 
I had a shocking morning this morning trying to get out of the house with the kids going nuts. And I snapped at Tanya and I snapped at the kids and then I realized what I was supposed to be preaching on this morning. (laughs) Hurry. It's the enemy to the spiritual life. If you want a litmus test for how you are formed as a disciple of Jesus, just reflect on how you are when you get interrupted. When you're in the middle of something and someone interrupts you, how do you respond? See, Jesus was interruptible. He was unhurried. And if we're to be with our rabbi, we need to somehow deliberately in our lives learn to slow down. So I'm going to try, you can join me, over the next month to try and slow your body and your heart down to a walking pace. That's a metaphorical walking pace. Obviously, I'm still going to drive my car. But it might even be literally, maybe try walking places rather than driving to the shops. Jesus may actually want to just cut some things out of your life in order to do that, in order to slow down. And then the question is, are you willing to be obedient to your rabbi in that? How, how tightly are we holding to the things of our lives versus following the pace of our rabbi? And finally, we need to pay attention to process moments. Often in the charismatic tradition of which we are in the vineyard, we put a lot of attention on power moments. There's a handful of times in our lives when the Holy Spirit miraculously breaks in and we encounter him in power, we encounter the kingdom. And often in those times, we do see a dramatic shift in the direction of our lives. Um, And they're wonderful moments. That's why we spend time, um, if you journey with us this year, you'll realize we spend a lot of time waiting on the Holy Spirit to come and encounter us because we want those power moments. We want the dramatic, radical change that only the Holy Spirit can bring. And moments in my life like that have dramatically changed me. Um, This church wouldn't exist were it not for a very powerful power moment that I experienced a few years ago. But the thing about formation is that most formation happens in process moments, not power moments. And if you're a teacher or you're a parent or you spent time with kids, or even if you think back and you remember your own childhood, you'll intuitively know this truth. It's that not, it's not all about the big moments. So those big moments are great, but the kind of person that that kid becomes or that you became was formed through everyday process moments the little things that you probably don't even remember. And it's actually the same for us with God. Discipleship formation happens in process moments. It's in that everyday grind when you're driving your kids to school and you're asking the Lord for grace and patience. It's when you're going for a run and you just take a moment just to listen to the still small whisper of the Lord. It's when you deliberately choose to engage with somebody in community, even though you don't necessarily have a natural chemistry with them or you didn't sleep well last night and you're tired. It's those moments when you just choose to show up because you're committed to community and to church family. Now, those moments don't particularly seem holy or memorable, but it's those moments that shape our character and our discipleship and formation to Jesus. They're process moments. And if we're not careful, we're tempted to focus so much on the power moments that we miss God in the process moments of our lives. And if you think about the 12 disciples, Following Jesus for three years meant a lot of process moments. Meals, a lot of walking between towns, setting up camp, going to sleep, waking up, daily prayers, watching Jesus walk up a mountain. I wonder what that's about. 
Jesus, teach us to pray. A lot of process moments. And I want to encourage us to be attentive as individuals and as a church to those moments this year in our lives. What are the process moments that God is putting his finger on? And so to wrap up, another question for you just to consider. Which of those three is perhaps God highlighting to you this morning to think about through 2024? Commitment to radical community, a commitment to slowing down, a commitment to paying attention to the process moments of our lives. And together, let's make a commitment to be a radical community of Jesus followers, that together encourage one another to disciple ourselves to our rabbi, to our Lord Jesus in our everyday for the sake of others. Amen. You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delhart.